have two candidates for baptism that are going to come up here in just a moment. And uh, this is a very exciting day because uh, baptism is that outward expression of the inward work that God has done. So we have Megan and Jake here that have come to us to be baptized. And I just spoke with them a little bit ago and, and I heard their story of salvation about how God called them into a relationship with him. And so what we get to witness today is is their relationship with God here through the celebration of baptism. So, if you would, (laughs) so if you hold that hand, I'm going to help you back. Give me one moment. He almost went in with his wallet. He wants everything saved. (laughs) All right. Jake, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. is a risky business. Speech is a risky business. So are texts and tweets, actually. And this is because we use words. We use words. Words we use can help or hurt. They can do good or do bad. Words have tremendous power. In Proverbs 18:21 it says the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. In Proverbs 21, 23, it says, He who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity. Now, when we talk about the the tongue today, we're talking about all uses of words for communication. Now, they did not have email, texts, and tweets in Bible days that we know of. But this is the use of words for communication. Not just physical actions like touching, hitting, or hand gestures. We're going to talk just about words. Our tongue, defined as speech or verbalized thought, is very powerful, and it can be very dangerous. It's risky business. Earlier in the book of James, we discover that faith without deeds is dead or useless, and that deeds are more than just actions. Deeds include words. It includes words, speech, and today it can include email, text, tweets, and any other form of communication. This is probably one of the most important passages in the entire book of James, and one that probably should be preached at least once a year. But I want us to concentrate today on James, 
the third chapter. Today we're going to look at risky business, the tongue, thumbs, text, tweets, and other dangers. And I'd like you to turn with me to James, the third chapter, James 3. It's on page 978 if you want to follow along in the Bible in the rack in front of you. It'll also be on the projection. James 3, verses 1 to 12, as we look at risky business. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest fire is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. In this passage, James starts with the risks of teaching. The risks of teaching. In the first century church, people were lining up to teach. See, in the Jewish tradition out of which the church grew, teachers were called rabbi, rabbi. They were greatly respected, and they were greatly admired. And because of this, evidently the early church was filled with a lot of teacher wannabes. You know, I'd like to be called rabbi. In fact, we're considering giving connection class teachers the title rabbi to see if it'll help with recruitment. So the early church, for the early church, this was more of a power or influence trip because they wanted to be a teacher. So James says teaching is a risky business. Why? Because you talk. <laughs> because you talk. You use speech when you teach, and speaking is a risky business. Why? First of all, letter A, teachers will be judged more strictly, he says. Teachers will be judged more strictly. It's one thing to hold a truth or an opinion personally. It's quite another to pass that along and influence other people with your talking or tweeting. Everybody wants to be followed by other people. Look at the competition for followers on Twitter or Telegram or whatever it is. Everybody trying to get more followers. We want to be followed by other people. But James says, be careful, you will be judged more strictly with a higher standard. See, we have to be careful of teaching our own opinions or prejudices, not pure truth. Or contradicting our teaching by our life. Contradicting our teaching by our life. Someone once said, I can't hear what you're saying because of what you're doing. I can't hear what you're saying because of what you're doing. If we speak it, we better do it. 
Or our kids will call us out. That, that happens. We know that. It's risky business. Why is teaching risky? Secondly, because he says we all sin. We all sin. Verse 2 says we all stumble in many ways. All means all. Okay, just so you know. We will never be able to perfectly practice what we preach. Okay? And having preached for a few years, just have to ask my kids if I practiced everything I preach. Or ask Judy. She'll tell you. It's really hard to practice everything that you preach. Why? Our mouth gets us into trouble. Our mouth gets us into trouble. He says if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. So our words are indicators of what's really inside of us. He says, do you want to be a teacher? Not so fast. Think about it. It's dangerous and it's risky. It's risky. Why? Well, let's look at Roman numeral two, the risks of the tongue. What are the risks of the tongue? First of all, we find that the tongue is an instrument, letter A, an instrument of awesome energy and influence. It's an instrument of awesome energy and influence. Verse 5 in the message says it this way, and we have this on the projection. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. Then James gives three examples, three examples of that. The first one is a bit in a horse's mouth. How many of you have ridden a horse? Okay, most of you. And I'm not talking about a pony ride at a fair. Or when you follow the trail, there's, you're all in the line. The scenery never changes for the horse you're riding. because No, I'm talking about actually going out on the range and riding free riding. How many of you have done that? Okay, all of you. Good, good. Just want to find out how experienced we are. You have reins with a bit in the horse's mouth. What is the overriding principle when you're riding a horse? What's the overriding principle? The body follows the mouth. Okay? Where, the, where that mouth goes, if you can control the mouth of that horse with the bit, the, the, he will follow. The bit will direct the horse right or left or speed up or slow down or stop. That's, that's theory, of course. I've, I've been on some rambunctious, I was on one rambunctious horse that no longer wanted me on it, and it, it got rid of me. I had no, cho- I had no choice. But that happens. But the body follows the mouth. And if you can control your mouth, James says, the rest of you will follow. The body will follow. That's why we're all in trouble. Matthew 12, 34 to 37 says, for out of the overflow of the heart, okay, he gets to the bottom line. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Whatever is inside comes out in the form of speech, and our body follows. Our body follows. If we could just control our mouth... We could control our whole body. In fact, he says you can control your whole course of life if you can control your tongue. There was a sitcom who played off this theme, and someone accused his friend of complaining. And he said, how do you know I'm complaining? He said, because your lips are moving. It's risky business. The second illustration that shows how powerful the tongue is is a ship's rudder. Now, 
I've done a fair amount of boating, usually power boating. I, I've, I've seen very little sense in waiting for the wind to push me this way and that. I'm not patient enough to sail, but I have done sailing. Okay? I have done sailing. And one particular time, my friend and I were, were getting ready to put the sailboat out in the water, and we had trouble attaching the rudder. Well, how many of you know if you can't have a rudder attached on a sailboat, you're in deep trouble? Yeah, you, there's no way you can figure out where to go. No control over the direction of the boat. And, and James uses that as an illustration. He says, even though the ship is huge and the winds blowing are very strong, a little pressure on this tiny rudder directs it wherever the pilot wants it to go. And it, uh, this has to do with intention. The intention of the pilot is everything. Where does the pilot intend for the ship to go? And this points to us in our intentions or motives of our words. What are we trying to accomplish? What are our motives in the words that we use? Our will will direct our tongue, our texts, our tweets, our Facebook, whatever, posts, whatever it is. And so much is revealed by what we say, by what we say or what we post. What kind of impact do my words have? Well, we know that today our words can have an incredible impact. If you are working for a company and you tweet the wrong thing, you could lose your job. Or if you put something online, you may get some people to disagree with you. They'll, they'll come after you and they'll pick at your house or demonstrate. I mean, there's a, there are a lot of things that are out there right now that make putting words out there, whether we speak them, can be dangerous. Our words will direct our lives. And remember, James already told us none of us is perfect. So talking, texting, posting, tweeting are all risky business. Now, I'm not addressing the constitutional right of free speech, which, which gives us a right to offend. I know that we're in this cancel culture. So this, we have to put this in the context of, of those kinds of things. One of, the, one of the basic constitutional rights we have when it comes to speech, religion, whether it's speaking your opinion or uh, your faith or your politics or whatever, we do have the right to offend. Okay, just so you know. And we're offended sometimes by what other people say. That's, that's a separate issue than personal relationships and relationships with people in the church. Okay, just so you know. I don't want you to think I'm anti-free speech. I'm very much pro-free speech. And, and that sometimes offends, and that's, that's our right. This has to do with personal relationships. Now, the third illustration he uses, one we're most familiar with, is fire. Is fire. The first two, the bit and the rudder, seem to point out a direction, either a positive direction or a negative direction, and taking responsibility for those words. We're responsible for the bit and the rudder. Positive or negative. It's still risky, but fire, fire is very, fire is very dangerous. Verse 5, it says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Verse 5 contrasts the small with the great. The tongue is small. One of the smaller parts of our body has great effects. Like a, a spark is small, but it has great effects. 
Who of us here have not observed firsthand or seen reports of devastating fires? I remember one summer we drove out to Washington for vacation and the, the wildfires were awful. When we came back, literally, we were in smoke all the way across Montana. Montana's a huge, huge state. That's like a day in smoke. It was just, it was crazy. But the devastation that we saw from forest fires. It might be a far, fire started by a careless camper, a cigarette butt, or thrown out of the car window. It's small, no big deal, right? Wow. At 9 o'clock in the evening, on a sat- Sunday evening, October 8, 1871. Now, none of you were alive then. I know that, so just wanted to say. In 1871, October 8, poor Mrs. O'Leary's cow kicked over the lantern as she was being milked. Just a little lantern. But started the great Chicago fire, which destroyed three and a half miles of city, burning over 17,000 buildings and costing 250 lives. A little lantern kicked by a cow. Wow. One single careless word Small, but powerful and destructive. You can light a match and burn a forest. You can say a word and destroy a life. Risky business. And it says the tongue is a fire. It doesn't say it's like a fire. It says the tongue is fire, so it's unstoppable. Have you ever tried to stop a rumor? Ever tried to stop a rumor? There were four men who decided to form an accountability group uh, to confess their sins and to hold each other to account. So these guys were in their first meeting, and the first one says, you know, I have a problem with lust, and I really need prayer from you guys. The second man said, I've got a real problem with anger in my temper. The third man said to the group, I wrestle with greed, and I have to confess I've been pilfering money at work. And the fourth man said, I have a problem with gossip, and I can't wait to get out of here. (laughs) That's not true that I know of, okay, just to say. Have you ever played the telephone game? Telephone game, everybody gets in a circle. If you haven't done it, you should do it at least once. Once may be enough, but that's okay. Get in a circle, and one person, you you usually have a statement that's written down on paper so you can prove it. And then they whisper to the person next to them, and they in turn, whisper to the person next to them. It goes around. Usually you have 10, 12, 15 people in the circle. And at the end of the, end of the time, the person at that end says what they heard. And I, I have yet to have it even close, closely resemble the original statement. That's how gossip works. It just passes around, changes, 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 changes. Get in the circle and do that. Gossip does that. The tongue is a fire. Number two, it's a world of evil among the parts of the body. This means the tongue expresses all the evil character and traits of our fallen world and even nature, evil nature. Covetousness, idolatry, blasphemy, lust, and greed. Name the evil and you'll find that the tongue will express it. It says the tongue defiles the whole body. The tongue wreaks havoc. It corrupts the whole person. It sets the whole course of his life on fire. And it is set on fire by hell itself. Our tongue can be so evil, the uncontrolled tongue has a direct pipeline 
to hell. That's what he says. Our tongue, uncontrolled, has a direct pipeline to hell. Risky business. It is an instrument of awesome energy and influence. Secondly, the tongue is, letter B, it's an instrument that indicates the quality of our discipleship. It indicates the quality of our discipleship. Or this indicates where we are on our faith journey. Where we are in a faith journey. How real is our faith? Our tongue will tell. Our tongue will tell. First, it demonstrates our immaturity. It can demonstrate immaturity. James 1, 26 says, if anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Matthew twelve thirty seven: for by your words you will be acquitted and by your words you will be condemned. Two types of persons. One who professes Christianity but has no control of the tongue. Professes Christianity but has no control of the tongue. Those who speak ill of others. I have a sister-in-law whose name is Lorna. And I had the opportunity many years ago now to, to lead her to Christ. And Lorna was a brand new believer. Lived in Salem, Oregon. And one of the things her husband was not yet a believer, so she had to navigate finding a church on her own and she to attend and be discipled. And and she so she found this great church and she was there. She attended for four years. One family gathering shortly after that, I asked Lauren, I said, How are you doing? How's the church going? And she said, I left. I'm not going to church anymore. I said, Why? Why are you not going to church anymore? Her reply, I quote, I got tired of hearing people saying bad things about the pastor. Now that could be saying bad things about anybody, not just the pastor, but saying things about anybody. I thought, wow. And I asked the question, I, I thought, are these, are these people saying negative things? Are they critical of whomever in the church? Are they Christians? Probably. Are they immature Christians? Probably. Are they being destructive? Absolutely. Absolutely. Second, one whose religious experience is entirely verbal. There, there are people that profess Christianity and experience no life change. Immature. Our tongue demonstrates our immaturity or it can demonstrate our maturity. James 3.2 says, if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Perfect meaning mature or grown up. Now, let me just say this, because none of us are perfect, none of us are totally mature. All of us are somewhere in between the immature and mature spectrum. We're growing, and hopefully we're moving that direction. Not asking, it's important to ask, not where am I on the scale, but which way am I moving? Which way am I growing? Am I becoming more mature in my control of the tongue? Am I growing more mature in my love for other people and for Jesus? Which way am I growing? And thirdly, the tongue is an instrument that must be used carefully. Carefully. 
Verse 7 and 8, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by a man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. We've been able to tame or make useful almost every wild animal or creature. But no one, no one, he says, in their own effort has been able to do so with the tongue. Humanly speaking, controlling the tongue is impossible. Impossible. We really need the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's move on to some prohibitions for the tongue and a couple exhortations. These are some prohibitions. The do-nots of the tongue. First of all, we just mentioned it's gossip. Gossip. Gossip is one of the most destructive forces in the entire church. And sometimes gossip is true. Say, well, it was true. That's not the point. Is it good? Is it constructive? Is it, is it positive? Fran Japan in a, in a House United says this. He talks about the divider. He says, a short definition of the word devil is slanderer. Yet literally speaking, the word refers to one who puts himself or something between two in order to divide them. Satan's goal is not just to speak evil, but to divide spouse from spouse, children from parents, race from race, Christian from Christian. He will use unresolved issues from the past or even issues that we may have already forgiven. The means to overcome is to make sure your heart is free of bitterness and your words are full of love because love covers a multitude of sins. I preached this passage once when we were in Tacoma, Washington, pastoring a church, and, and um, one family became angry at me and left the church. I thought, why, why was that? So I, I called them up, and I talked to them. I said, what, what happened? They said, well, you preached, you preached against us. We were gossiping, and you preached against us. I said, I, first of all, I said, I didn't know you were gossiping. Thanks for confessing. And then I said, I didn't preach that against you. I don't preach things against people. I preach that to all of us. And whenever I prepare a sermon, it's to me first. And if I preach a sermon to you that I haven't already received from God, then I have no business standing in this pulpit. I said, that sermon was preached to me and to all the people. Gossip. Gossip is incredibly destructive. I use this quote a couple times. Jim Cimbala. Jim Cimbala is the pastor of a great church in Brooklyn Tabernacle. We call it Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. And Jim Cimbala is the kindest, gentlest, most unbelievable shepherd that cares for his people. And he exudes this kind of love for people. And he said this, and I quote, I paraphrase mostly. He said, if you come to this church and you're an alcoholic or addicted to drugs, we will welcome you with open arms, pray for your healing by God and your deliverance. If you are a prostitute, we will open our arms and declare God's forgiveness and redemption. If you are a thief or a murderer, an ex-con, we will accept you and tell you how Jesus came to forgive sinners. But if you are part of this church, 
and you are a gossip, we will hunt you down, confront your sin, and throw you out of the church. Wow. I was, I was shocked when he said that. Why would this pastor say that? Because gossip is a flame of destruction, and it destroys destroys relationships, destroys churches. Gossip can destroy a church, can destroy leadership, a reputation, unity. Gossip is from the pit of hell. And I want to say, you all are doing really good right now. We had some issues in the past, but let's continue to be very careful with our tongue and gossip. The second prohibition would be innuendo, innuendo, which is implication or suggestion, causing doubts or raising questions about another person's character. We don't have to gossip. We can just kind of ask a question and it just raises an issue. Or there's flattery. You can flatter people. These are insincere compliments and manipulation, manipulation for our, usually for our own benefit. And then there's criticism, criticism. Did you know that Eau Claire Wesleyan Church is not a perfect church? <laughs> Some of you are already smiling. <laughs> this, is, this is not a perfect church. And you can find things wrong with any church there is. We, and, and what I've said, if you're looking for the perfect church and join it, then it's no longer perfect because none of us are perfect. So whatever. We are not the perfect church. No question about that. And no problem in the church has ever been solved by criticism. Critical thinking, yes. Strategic examination, yes. Criticism, no. Criticism is standing back in a spectator role, finding fault without offering positive solutions or being part of the positive solution. If, if, if somebody says, we got a problem with this, I say, Let, let's find a solution for it. How can you help? How can I help? Whatever. There's no such thing as a perfect church, but criticism will kill. It will kill. Standing back, it's tearing down, not building up. It's, it's like we know all the answers. Like some football fans I know of. N none of them here, of course. Then there's blasphemy, which is a speech against God. So there, there are a lot of prohibitions, a lot we could list here. I don't have time or space, but these are don'ts. Don'ts. So what then are we to do with our speech? Well, exhortations, exhortations. The first one is a blessing. How can we bless people verbally? Lift them up, speak positively, speak well of, speak good of, stay positive. We live in a world of put-downs and sarcasm. I, you know, it's really hard out there. People are just looking for reasons to put you down. And it's, 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 it's almost like sarcasm is contagious. Um, sitcoms on TV, different things that you watch, Everything is sarcasm. It's sarcasm. It's just, and it's so, it's so negative. And that's part of the problem with the tongue is sarcasm. And we can counter that culture in our community, in our families, in our church, at home, at work, by blessing people, looking for something good that you can say about somebody every time you see them. Blessing people, saying something positive. Positive words. Closely relating is praising. And that's praising God, but also praising people. How can we build people up? How can we build people up? 
Um, we live in this negative culture all the time, hearing negative news, negative things. And when people come into the church or come to their connect group or whatever, we desperately need positive affirmation. We desperately need to say good things, positive things, positive things. And it takes effort. It takes effort. For one final illustration, verses 10 to 12. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grape vine bear figs? Neither can salt, a salt spring produce fresh water. Whatever is inside of us comes out in words. Words are a demonstration of who we are. And what's coming out of this spring? Salt water or fresh water? There's a big difference. Big difference. I think that the most dramatic time I saw the difference, I mean, I've been to the ocean and stuff, but I was used to inland lakes up in northern Minnesota where I grew up in Minnesota. And we were driving to California once, and we stopped at the Great Salt Lake in Utah. Beautiful, big body water. It was sunny. We got our swim trunks on, and... I ran out and I dove in. Yeah, some of you did the same thing. Bad mistake. It's so salty. It was like, oh, man, my eyes started water. I came up and I said, that is awful. Big difference between fresh water and salt water. And you know what? What's inside of us is either going to be fresh water or salt water. What is it? Let's look at some guidelines for the tongue use very quickly. Letter A, guideline, talk directly to the party involved. Don't talk about someone, talk to them. I have a problem with Gordy, so I talk to Chris. Does that solve anything? No. It, 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 what it does is it, is it triangulates. Now, now, Chris has a problem with Gordy, okay? If I have a problem with Gordy, I need to talk to Gordy, okay? Now, I can't solve the problem by talking to somebody else. So when you have an issue, talk to the person there. Otherwise, it's gossip. And if you do speak about someone who's absent, because sometimes we have to seek counsel and say, I've got, a, I've got an issue I've got to deal with, imagine that the person is present. Imagine the person is present. So I have a problem with Gordy, and I need counsel from Chris. And so I say, Chris, and so when I'm speaking about the issues, I'm imagining that Gordy's sitting there, and it completely changes how I speak about Gordy. Does that make sense? Imagine the other person is present. It's amazing how positive and objective our words become. Now, one of the things that you'll see in our value statements, if you go on our website, look at our philosophy of ministry, one of our value statements, the last one on the list, and we put it there as an emphasis, is called loyalty to the absent. Loyalty to the absent. If you've never read that, go online and read it. It's one of the things that I will never speak about somebody negatively. And if I deal with something, I will be loyal to the person who is absent. Absolutely critical. And it keeps you from gossip. Letter C, always be constructive, not destructive. Are my words building up? Are my words having a positive impact? This has to do with our marriages, with our children parenting, uh, people we work with, people we live with, all of those kinds of things. Are my words having a positive impact? 
Letter D, don't spiritualize gossip. Don't spiritualize gossip. Um, I have this prayer concern I want to share with all of you. I have a prayer concern. We're going to pray about this, and so I want to share this. Yeah, we can spiritualize that. Now, it doesn't mean we don't pray about issues, but be careful that a praying for someone or a prayer meeting doesn't become gossip. Many a spark started a fire in a prayer chain or a prayer meeting. And I've seen that happen. And then letter E, give it over to God. Give it over to God. Only in God's power and by his Holy Spirit can we use our words positively. See, we need to be changed daily, constantly. Our dependence on the, the Holy Spirit of God to change us internally. Because literally, we don't have the ability or power to do this. Okay? It's not in us. Naturally, it has to be supernatural. Supernatural. And that's where we have to depend on the Holy Spirit to do that in us. And when the Holy Spirit does it in us, we can't say, well, look what I did. I'm, I'm really No, it's not about us. It's about what the Holy Spirit does in us and through us, changing us. Then God gets the credit. God gets the credit. Risky business. Just opening our mouth is risky business. But when used properly for blessing and praise, building up, we can actually see great positive results that are well worth the risk in this risky business. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us guidelines, practical guidelines about how to use our tongue. And I pray, God, I, I thank you, God, for what you've done in this in the life of this congregation and how you brought us so far in the area of use of the tongue and how you've done so well. And I just pray, God, that we will continue to grow more and more like Jesus as you change our lives. God, that you would continue to change our hearts as we submit ourselves to you. So we give you our hearts in a brand new way today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.